Nancy Pointer. Some of you all laughed even when I said her name. Uh, she's one of those saints who has gone on before, whose life continues to speak in all kinds of ways. Uh, humorous, good, uh, silly, uh, sometimes a little, I'm not going to say bad, but uh, we have memories of her in all kinds of ways. And her faith in Christ continues to speak to us. And I would say this, Nancy Pointer will go down as one of my all-time favorite church members. She was a joy to pastor. And Nancy and I, we, she, she invented what we call access now, which is a Q&A after the service. Because Nancy and I would have Q&A after every service. It didn't matter who was preaching. Uh, it didn't matter if I was preaching. And she would come up to me after every service, every sermon, and she would corner me and she would say, Pastor Jeremy, this is how she would start it, I have a question. And sometimes it wasn't a question, it was a complaint. Sometimes it was her opinion about something. Sometimes it was her opinion about uh, other people or things that were going on. But we would talk just almost after every service that we were a part of together. And... Uh, at one time on Wednesday night at Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Lexington, I was teaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And she came in that night, and she, she came up to me before the Bible study. And she, this, was, this was odd because it was before I had taught anything. And she said, Pastor Jeremy, I have a question. And we were getting started with the Bible study, and I said, okay, well, you're going to have to wait till afterwards, and we'll talk as we usually do, but just, just wait. And I could tell that she was very disturbed, and this was serious. And I actually forgot uh, about talking to her after the service, and so I was putting my mic up at the sound booth, and I set everything down, and I turned around, and there she was in my face. And she said, I have a serious question. And I could, I could just see the seriousness in her eyes. And she was looking around. She didn't want anybody to see what she was doing. And she put her Bible up on the counter. And it's as if she was hiding something in her Bible. And she opened it up. And there was a coupon from Kroger that had come in the mail that day at her house. And in the right-hand corner, there was a QR code. Now, this was the first QR code that I had ever seen in my life. And it was the first one that she had ever seen. And hiding it there, she didn't want anybody else to see it. She said, Pastor Jeremy, do you think this is the mark of the beast? <laughs> and I didn't know what to say because I'd never seen one. I thought it would be odd for the Mark of the Beast to be on a coupon from Kroger. <laughs> but I honestly did not know what to say to her. I didn't want to say no because it might have been. <laughs> and so I looked at her, and we kind of had this relationship where I said, I don't know, Nancy, but I would not tape it to your forehead <laughs> and allow anyone to scan it at the grocery store. And as she always says, she goes, oh, you're so crazy. Turned around and, and walked off. Now, I'm not sure if the mark of the beast is, any, is in any QR code. I do know that if you scan the one in the back, it will automatically take $666 out of your checking account. 
I don't know why that is. But when we think about end times, and we think about what the Bible teaches about end times, we, we can be extremely confused and scared and anxious as we're trying to figure out what's going to happen next and when are these things going to happen. My granddad, we would sit down and watch the evening news, world news, and he would see events about hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and changes in government in the Middle East. And, and that man could turn to me and open up his Bible and show chapter and verse about why this is happening and how this is going to happen. And this is leading to the Antichrist. And, and he, would he would teach me watching the, end, uh, watching the evening news about eschatology. So much so, I remember walking into my first eschatology class in Bible college and then, and then later in seminary and just being anxious. Because I was like, how in the world am I going to figure all of this out? This is confusing. This is hard to unpack. But I believe Jesus' point is way more simple for us. In, in complicated seasons... <laughs> Jesus' intention for us is not very complicated. While we must be attuned and while we must be aware as he teaches here, what he calls us to do is not extremely complicated. Last week we looked at verses 1 and 2 as we ended the sermon. And we find the disciples in Jesus, they are leaving Herod's temple, this glorious temple made out of massive stone gold-plated areas of worship, 35 acres of massive building. In some spots, the walls were 60 foot high. This was Herod, who was a master contractor. This was his prize, pride and joy. And in chapters 11 and 12, Jesus has, has stood before this temple, and he stood in the courts, and he says, guys, this place is spiritually bankrupt. This is a showpiece. There's nothing here. There's no fruits of repentance. And then his disciples still say, but Jesus, look, this thing is amazing. How could this be useless? And Jesus says, amazing, it's going to be toppled. It's going to be destroyed. And then in verse 3, he takes his disciples over to the Mount of Olives. Now, you would cross this mountain as you would head into the city of Jerusalem and from the top of this mountain, you could see the whole city, and, and center would be Herod's temple. And so he takes his disciples over to this mountain to overlook the city, and he says, we're going to have an eschatology lesson. I'm going to teach you about end times as you look over this city. And Peter and James and John and Andrew, they, they, they bring him to the side, and they say, please tell us. When will these things be? What things? Well, primarily the destruction of the temple. Primarily, when will this building be wiped out and toppled? And what will the sign be when all of these things are accomplished? How are we going to know? Obviously, this is going to involve chaos and war and confusion, and there's going to be destruction. How are we going to know when these things are happening, Jesus? 
And he says, okay, I'll tell you. But first of all, verse 5, this is your primary focus. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Now, I want you to know, through this section, that is his focus with the disciples. That they would not be led astray. It's not that they're going to be able to figure everything out. But they have to guard their hearts in what is about to happen. See that no one leads you astray. It means beware. Be cautious. Be in tune with what is going on around you so that you do not drift away. Verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he. Many will come and say, I am the Christ. Isn't it interesting? These men who have walked with him three years, he is still concerned that they would be led astray. Be careful, guys. You watch out. You watch out over your heart. You watch out over your soul. Many will come and say that they are me, that they are the Christ. And notice, lead many astray. So Jesus, what should we expect? Well, you should expect many will be led astray. You expect it. They will be led astray by false Christ. Now, throughout history, there have been many claims by other men People who have claimed to be the Christ. In 40 AD, there was a man named Theatus who convinced the Jews of that time that he could part the Red Sea and that he was the Messiah and led many astray. In Acts chapter 21, verse 38, Paul, Paul was mistaken for someone named the Egyptian who claimed to be a Messiah who led a revolt in Jerusalem with 4,000 people who believed what he was saying. In 70 AD, there was a man executed by Rome who was wearing a white tunic and a purple cape claiming to be king of the Jews. There will be many who say, I am he. Don't you be led astray. Many will be led astray. That's what you should expect. Verse 7 And when you hear of wars and rumor of wars, do not be alarmed. Don't freak out. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be war. So the disciples... Hearing of the resurrection, Jesus will be raised from the dead. He will be ascended to the right hand of God. He will claim to be ruling and reigning. And what Jesus says is, yet there will still be chaos on the planet. There will still be wars that take place. And don't think with every little disturbance, every little conflict, the end is here. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There will be natural disasters And the earth will remain cursed for a while. But I want you to know, notice verse 8, these are but the beginning of birth pains. Jesus says we are headed to a new creation. And just like in in birth, where pain and agony brings forth life, as we move toward the end of time, this new creation, this new life, there will be pain and agony. Don't freak out. Don't be alarmed. He says, expect it. 
Expect wars, natural disasters. Verse 9, but be on your guard. So you expect these things, but you be on your guard. You be alert. You be ready. This is a posture of battle. This is a soldier who is focused on all that is going on around him. And, and, and what is the point he's trying to get to them? Don't be led astray. Don't be led into thinking, this is it. This is him. You know me. You know my plan for human history. Don't let anyone lead you astray. Notice, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Now here we see a perfect summary of the book of Acts. We see the disciples in the book of Acts. They are standing before councils, the Sanhedrin. They are standing before high priests. They are standing before Roman governors. And what are they doing in every situation, whether they are being beaten, whether they be, are being imprisoned, they are standing up and saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. And that is your role in the world. But you will suffer for it. We see this happens, happens exactly the way he says it does throughout the book of Acts. They bear witness. Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But notice verse 10, and the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And so when you move from town to town, and the Jewish community in that town... When you say Jesus is the Messiah and they oppose you and they have you beaten, understand the gospel is going to keep moving forward to all nations. That's a promise. The gospel will reach the ends of the earth. As you, Paul himself finds himself in a Roman prison ship headed to Rome to preach the gospel. Expect the mission to be accomplished. Expect many to fall away. Expect worldwide chaos and destruction, natural disasters and war. But the gospel will keep moving to the ends of the earth. Verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever in, in that hour is given to you. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. It's a perfect description of what it means to be a witness. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you to do what? To be my witnesses. This is who you are in the world. You say Jesus is king. You are the sign and wonder to the world in the face of death when your life is threatened. When there is suffering and destruction swirling all around, I will implant you in the world to tell the rest of the world, the forces of darkness, powers that you stand before, people who hate you, that I'm king. So as you expect all these other things, you expect the power to speak my name. It will come. Don't worry about it. Do not be anxious. 
Don't think about how when you stand before the rulers of the day, the philosophers of the day, how you're going to articulate the gospel in a way that they get it and they understand it and they fall down at your feet and say, you're so smart and you're so wise. No, don't worry about that. Jesus is king. Death, destruction will be scary enough, but the Spirit will empower you to cling to the gospel. Understand that is a promise. Expect it. The mission will be accomplished. Verse 12, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. As you testify, Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, died for our sins, rose from the dead, ruling and reigning, your family will hate you. That's a promise. Expect it. The the most essential ties that you have in the world will be ripped apart. Why? For my name's sake. Because you identify with me. So expect it. Expect all of these things. And expect, notice he says, to be hated for my name's sake. Not for anything else. Not for your opinion on cultural events. Not for your party line, but because you say Jesus is king. But notice also what you should expect. The one who endures to the end will be saved. You will not testify the name of Jesus and get to the end and Jesus deny you. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And that is what you are looking to as you witness the gospel. Verse 14, and this is where it gets tricky. If you're following. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, Now, immediately, everything that we've talked about so far, you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. I can read that in my Bible. I see the the disciples and the apostles, they're suffering. I see the gospel moving to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is saying, that's going to happen. Hold on. Just wait. But then there's a transition here. And it seems as though Jesus gets to the point that they're asking about. He says, you'll see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be. Now, this term, abomination of desolation, it it means something detested, usually an idol that desecrates the temple. And this phrase was used in Daniel 7. And it referred to, many believe it referred to the actions of the king of Syria, Antichus Epiphany, who would enter the temple of God and who would sacrifice a pig on the altar of God to Zeus. And then he would allow pagan sacrifices in God's holy temple. And Jesus uses that phrase there and he says, you're going to see that again. And when when you see it, he says, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. When you see this begin to happen, get out of town. It is time to leave. Now, I believe there were three moments in actual history where this could have happened. 
In 39 AD, there was a ruler named Caligula who attempted to erect a statue of himself in God's temple. And that was put down. But then in 67 AD, there was a group of zealots who overtook the temple and they tried to make a clown the high priest. And then eventually in 70 AD, the ruler Titus comes in and he is putting down a Jewish revolt, a Jewish rebellion. And he literally wipes out the temple. And in the temple, there are Roman soldiers standing with Roman flags in God's temple. Now, I believe what Jesus is telling the disciples, when you see these things start to happen, you already see this place is defunct. And you're going to see God's judgment come upon this place by the hands of Roman soldiers. And when you start to see these things take place, get out of Jerusalem. Leave, And that's what he summarizes here. He says, it's not time to have a party on the housetop. You, you need to get out of your house and you need to leave this city. Verse 16, let no one who is in the field turn his back to take his, don't even get your coat. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, it's going to be difficult to get out of town and give labor in the mountains. And pray that it may not be winter. Verse 19, for in those days there will be tribulation as not been seen from the beginning of creation until now. This place will be totally wiped out in that day. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortens the days. Now what's interesting here is many Jewish Christians fled the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD because they remembered the words of Christ. They remembered what Mark is teaching here. And yet, one million Jews that were hiding in the city were burned to death. Now, I believe that many believe, okay, that happened in history, that's got to happen again. The temple's got to be rebuilt and torn down again. And that's fine too if you believe that. I don't think there's any contradiction. I do think the emphasis in this chapter, and we're going to talk about it next week, is Jesus could return at any moment. Jesus could return at any second. And so as we look upon these things, and, and Jesus is saying, listen to me, listen to my word, be ready to go. And then we get back to his point. So if you... If you're thinking about your end times Sunday school class, you're thinking, oh, I think you got it wrong. I don't, oh, hold on. That's not what, what I read in the Hal Lindsey book. Chill. We're, we're, I'm not mad at you. Because I want to get to the point he's making, whether we say this has happened or will happen again. And it's this, verse 21. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Again, that's where we're back to. Amidst destruction and chaos, fear, anxiety. I want, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you begin thinking about all that's going to happen, remember my point to you. Don't be led astray. Wake up. Because it's going to be real easy 
When you see things in the world falling apart, when you see your, your brother and sister in Christ chained and beaten and killed, when you see earthquakes, tsunamis, and pandemics, when you see all of those things going on around you, the tendency in your heart is going to be to turn and deny Christ. Don't do it. Because there will be many who will say, look, there's the Christ. And, and what they are saying there is there's the one who can save you from what's going on. Look, there he is. He says, don't believe it. In verse 22, it will be very convincing for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. It seems as though the target of all of those things and deception will zero in on the church and the intention of the evil one will be to deceive the church, if that were possible those who are truly Christians and following Christ. And so what is he, what is he, how does he end this section? Be on guard. I have told you all things before. I've told you what's going to happen so that as they are happening, you will trust my word. You will believe in my word. Everything that I say is true. Believe me, cling tight to my word. That's what you're going to have to do. Believe my word of all these things and believe my word that I am the only Christ, the Son of God. So what does Jesus want us to do? What does, he want, what does he want us to do in this moment as we think about end times? What do you think he wanted his disciples to do? What is clear for them here? In light of current events and things spiraling out of control, my personal view of all these things is that you could list all of these things out and they continue to cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle in human history until we see a great tribulation and Jesus comes. These things could happen over and over again. What is the point for us? It is to not be led astray. Very simple. Remember you are to witness the gospel in the face of death. And remember we win in the end. That is the point. It is not to sit around and try and decipher how government mandates, digital currency, the LGBTQ agenda, insurrections, protests, censorship, school curriculum, gender neutral M&Ms, and the death of Betty White gets us to the next seal. Now it does, somehow. But you're probably not going to figure all that out. But expect it. Expect it all. And expect even worse. And if you're expecting it, you know what to do, right? And the first point is do not be led astray. Notice it's sandwiched here with two warnings of false Christ and false promises of deliverance. That is, that is a primary warning in this section. The greatest danger for the church is not war, natural disasters. It's not even persecution. Persecution is not the worst thing that will happen to us. 
But to be led astray is. Because you can make it through suffering with the right Christ. And you can make it through persecution if you truly believe in Christ. But you will be sent to hell believing in a false Christ and a false gospel. Do not be led astray. And just as a side note, we are a society that is primed to be led astray in this way. We worship at the idols of happiness and safety. We bow before anyone or anything that will try to keep us safe. That's dangerous. And you better be alert. The false gospel that you are the center of the universe and Jesus exists to keep you happy and healthy is destroying the lives of many Christians. Because when it gets hard to follow Jesus, when it gets complicated to follow Jesus, we say, that ain't what I signed up for. I thought Jesus made everything easier. No. It's a false gospel. It's a false promise. We have to be careful with that, the propensity of our heart to believe and worship at the idol of safety and to believe its false gospel. Because of this, this is what Jesus is saying. Expect this. The world is not headed to a safe place. It's not. It's not headed to a happy place. The world as it is. So don't be led astray. Number two, remember your witness. In the next chapter, chapter 14, Jesus is, is standing, being judged and accused, ready to be crucified. And there are folks standing around. And they say, they, they falsely testify of him, Mark says. They say, he, he said, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. Herod's hands, and I will build up a new temple that's not made by hands. Now remember I said they falsely accuse him because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus in John stood before the rulers and said, if you tear this temple down, his body, I will raise it up in three days. And that's exactly what happens at the cross. The temple of God is desecrated by our sin and he dies under the wrath of God to grant us access to God when we believe in him when we trust in him and three days later he is a temple raised up from the dead a temple not made with hands and he sends his spirit out his presence out to build a new temple that we call the church Peter calls a church made of living stones and that is what he is building in the world right now as the witness of the church goes out around the world. He has built a new temple. And we see the church's witness replaces the physical temple's witness. Remember the temple made alliances with pagan kings like Herod. What will the church do? Stand in opposition to pagan kings. 
We see that the temple held nations at arm's length. Remember Jesus, he walks in the temple and he says, God's house is to be a house of prayer for the nations, but you're holding them out. And so what does this new temple do? It goes out with the witness by the power of the Spirit, taking God's presence to the nations for everyone who would believe in him. The temple was restrictive. It held God's presence to a place The Holy Spirit and the witness of the church will take God's presence to the ends of the earth. The temple was restricted at times by ethnic lines. At least the temple Jesus is condemning. The witness of the Spirit will transcend ethnic lines. And so the church's witness replaces the temple. And we have to remember that at all times. That even though this physical temple is wiped out, The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, and the church marches on. And we remember that. That's our role in the world right now. Acts 1.8, you will receive power in the face of death, in the face of Satan, in the face of destruction. You will say, Jesus is Lord. And in the beginning of the book of Acts, persecution is what sends the church out with this message, with this witness. And so we look around the world right now and we say, oh, we live in the most chaotic times ever. And it is wild. It is wild and crazy. Let's just admit that. I I know every generation thinks that. But let's, let's don't become numb to that. We live in a really weird, crazy, chaotic time where everybody has a voice and you are seeing everything in real time all the time. And it gets extremely confusing. And it can be very um, intimidating. We have to remember who we are. And that is what is the most important thing right now. Not how and when all these things are going to happen. Expect they'll happen. But remember who you are as witnesses. Listen, God has placed you at this time in human history to be his church full of witnesses to say, right now, Jesus is Lord. You live right now. Wake up to that. You live in this moment. What's happened in the past, what happens in the future, right now, you are the signpost on the planet that Jesus is king. That's who you are. Don't be led astray. Don't forget who you are. Because you will be full of anxiety if you do not understand that purpose. And you will wake up every morning thinking, whatever the latest controversy is, is it ever going to be over? Is it ever going to be over? Is it ever going to be over? No. There's going to be a new one. Remember who you are. You are to stand in the midst of chaos and controversy and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. That's who you are. You you can't stand around wondering why happiness and safety just keeps eluding and things may, they don't seem to be getting better. You will be miserable doing that. Speak the gospel. You, you harness that nervous energy inside you, first of all, anxiety in prayer, making your request known to God, but also with the purpose of sharing the gospel. Why is all this happening right now? Pick up your, on Twitter, CNN, Fox News, and you read it, and it's just a, why? 
to give you a platform to share the gospel. People love to talk about the latest controversy. I think I talk to more people out in public now than I ever have in my life. Because everything is right in front of us. You want to talk to somebody about Jesus? Just bring something controversial up. Hey, what did you think about the president's uh, press conference the other day? Now, you got to be careful to hold your tongue when they respond. Hey, isn't it good Jesus is king? Isn't that great? Hey, what do you think about those vaccine mandates? Now, you got to control your tongue. Hey, isn't it great and glorious Jesus is going to redeem all things in sickness? You have the perfect opportunity. You, you, you have lists and lists and lists of platforms and opportunities to share the gospel. If you want to use it that way, if you want to use it that way, it is there. If you want to walk by the Spirit and declare that Jesus is Lord, He's going to give you what to say. Remember, Jesus is going to give you what to say. And what does, what does the Holy Spirit always say? Jesus is King and Jesus is Lord. So you should expect war. As you see people hanging off of airplanes in Afghanistan, you should expect it. And you should expect the opportunity to say Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And there's a day coming where we won't see anything like that when he rules and reigns. You should expect to live on a cursed planet with pandemics and tornadoes, but you should also expect the power to say in the midst of all that, Jesus is the Redeemer. He will one day harness every molecule by his power and his lordship, and we will live in a new creation. You should expect persecution. And I know many of you on campuses and in schools right now are feeling that. The subtle squeeze to deny core tenets of the faith to keep your job and to continue to have a voice. Expect it. But also expect opportunities amidst all of that to say, and Jesus is better than any of it. Expect the power by the Spirit to say that. Expect death. Expect it. But expect the opportunity to say Jesus is a former corpse and I will be too because I believe in him. Expect it. Expect wickedness. Hopefully by now you, you're not shocked by anything that you see in the news, right? You're just, you're just not shocked by it anymore. And Jesus has given you an opportunity amidst wickedness and amidst horrible sin. As you look out on the world and even in, in, in our lives and even in people that we're close to, we see sin. Why has he put you in that situation? Why has he put a, a, a me in that moment? It's so that I would look those in the eye who are in rebellion and say, yes, and even Jesus can forgive you of your sin. Even Jesus can save you from your wickedness and redeem you from destruction. So remember, do not be led astray. Remember your witness. And finally, remember we win in the end. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 11, 
Satan is cast down. He brings about destruction on the earth. And then there's this promise to those who are testifying to the name of Christ, verse 11, Revelation 12, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Those who are in Christ win in the end by his blood, by his victory on the cross. But notice also by the word of their testimony. You are on the planet right now to wage war with the evil one, and you will win because Jesus is king and your testimony is true. But then it says, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Should we expect the mark of the beast on a QR code? Maybe a credit card chip, self-scan at Walmart. I, I don't know. But we should expect a temple that Jesus has called the church. And as the gates of death shake all around her, we should expect she will be standing at the end.